0: One of the things I, I kind of pocketed away as a lesson that really applied last year was the ability to really disconnect from your perception of reality and embrace agility and change quickly, right?
1: You're listening to Banking on Digital Growth with James Robert Lay,
2: Greetings and hello, I am James Robert Lay and welcome to the 63rd episode of the Banking on Digital Growth podcast. Today's episode is part of the Exponential Insight series and I'm excited to welcome Kirk Drake to the show. Kirk has more than 20 years of experience designing and implementing advanced technology solutions, systems, and strategies for financial brands. He is the CEO of Ongoing Operations, as well as CU 2.0. Kirk is also the author of the book, CU 2.0, a guide for credit unions competing in the digital age, as well as his new book that's now out and available on Amazon titled, Financial, Helping Financial Service Executives Prepare for an Artificial World. Hello, Kirk, and welcome to the show. Good morning, great to see you. It is good to be here with you today, absolutely. You know, one of the things that I've been thinking a lot about is reflecting, reflecting on the past, reflecting on 2020, and when when, when I think about that, what's been the greatest lesson that you have learned coming out of 2020 and into 2021?
0: Yeah, I, I, uh, I think, you know, t- Interesting. Having worked with Paul Fiore at C wallet and hundreds of other entrepreneurs over the years in masterminds and other type functions. One of the things I, I kind of pocketed away as a lesson that really applied last year was the ability to really disconnect from your perception of reality and embrace agility and change quickly. Right. And so, you know, what back in the day when I was working with Fiore. something came up in the business that was different than what our expectations were maybe it was a market change maybe a new competitor maybe a client didn't you know go some direction that we wanted his ability to pivot and change and go forward with the new journey was just breathtaking i mean it was just so fast and you know i think what it really taught me over time was When something crazy happens like COVID that disrupts all of your prearranged business plans and, and attempts to organize the world into whatever we think reality is, you know, that really the quickest thing you can do is rip off that band aid, ignore. Whatever your, you know, our human brains would tell us not to leave the house and never go anywhere and never take any risks, right? So, you know, ignore all of that and lean into the facts and the information you have right then to make a different plan and change the future to be what you want it to be. And last year was the first year where I was really able to take six or seven years of those lessons, see COVID, see the impact immediately react, change, you know, reassess and adjust and do that two or three times during the year. And it just resulted in fantastic results, you know, across the board and everything I was involved
2: in. You mentioned a couple interesting points, pivoting and changing, moving fast and creating a new reality or creating a new future. And this is something that you've been doing and I would call practicing to your point six years was it easier for you to do it because you've had this practice? Is this innate? and And why do some financial brand leaders struggle with this idea of accepting, embracing, and really moving towards change?
0: I think so a, I don't think it's easy. I think it it requires muscle memory and an internal belief or value system that says, I'm going to hit the override button on what my brain is telling me and how i'm feeling to take a step back and and reevaluate where i thought we were where i thought we were going versus reality and i think you know if you think about strategic planning or how you lead a team or any of those things all of these things are designed to build coalescence or consensus around a theme or a concept and get group buy-in and then you know go off and execute something and the reality is that takes a huge amount of emotional energy to get people on the same page and going the same direction. And so when a crisis occurs, you know, I think there's, it's, you know, the usual stages of, of grief, you're angry, you're frustrated, you're, you know, all those sort of things. But the reality is the faster you can move through those and accept each stage and move on to the next one is the faster you can adjust to the marketplace. And, to me, the greatest companies are the ones that are able to do that consistently over time and really adapt and change quickly. But to adapt and change, we really have to disconnect from our fears at the end of the day and conquer those. And the fears are really at the end of the day, mostly unfounded, right? Like they're, they're just our, reptilian brain ratcheted back to caveman era where we're designed to react to certain stimulus in our environment that don't really actually exist anymore right
2: well well, there's that old analogy of fear being false evidence appearing real and and right. to your point it is about hitting the reset button and i think if if i can encapsulate your thought it all comes down to one word it's awareness it's awareness yeah. of where we we've been where we're at and where we can go next and accepting that loss and, and you mentioned the stages of grief it's accepting the loss of the old self to create the space and time to create the new self the individual the team the organization if you will which is where i'd like to take the conversation because you've got this new book out financial and you write every fintech uses ai some gain competitive advantage others solves old problems in new ways all see better results than than their non-ai competitors they're creating the future yet most banks and credit unions aren't even thinking about ai why is that
0: so I think it's easier to assume it's not going to happen to us and that it, and that we're not, that there isn't any urgent and pressing threat, right, um, from it than it is to accept, you know, because the reality is you can react really hard and go say, we're going to do everything in AI. And that's an outsized reaction too, right? You know, it's, it, the whole credit union is not going to shift tomorrow to AI, but you can bet over the next 5, 10, 15 years, it's going to have repeated significant changes in that regard. And instead of, you know, it's, it's um, I think of, uh, there's a great comic I saw that said, you know, who had the biggest impact on digital transformation, the CTO, the chief experience officer, or COVID. <laughs>
2: right. and, and, and COVID was typically visualized as the wrecking ball coming into the boardroom.
0: Yep. Right. But, but the reality is that trend was so underway for so long that the credit unions that had made material progress on it have have it's effortless or it's appears effortless as they ride that next transition in there. The ones that are really, you know, put their head in their sands and said, it's going to be all branch first human to human piece. They're the ones that have the biggest lift in that struggle and have the biggest short-term pain in that equation. And I think AI is going to be similar. You're going to see layers of things peeled off that don't feel particularly disruptive, But if you do nothing for 10 years and you look up at that point, it's going to be hugely disruptive. And even, you know, I'd I'd go one step further to me. I don't think it's all that important that credit unions be, you know, investing hundreds of hours into AI right now. I do think if you look where the path is going to go to be able to take advantage of AI, you're going to have to be on cloud, right? To take advantage of That you're going to have to have structured data and and really put your analytics not just into solving day-to-day problems, but making it actionable and automated across everything, robotic process automation and those things. And so if the credit union isn't tackling cloud, robotic process automation and analytics and investing heavily in those three trends when the trend does occur on AI, and it's going to occur faster than any other trend we've seen before, right? Because once, once it hits and creates a competitive advantage, it's unstoppable, right? You know, I think, it, I mean, you look, look at Tesla right now as a perfect example, right? They have such a huge lead in AI that most of the other auto manufacturers have assumed that they have lost that battle, right? <laughs> that it is just, it's not even the, the battery technology or the you know, electric car piece of it or navigation or any of that. It's their long-term valuation, in my opinion, is driven entirely around their AI model and whatnot.
2: Well, you, you, you mentioned a story in the book and, and hearing you talk through that, it's almost... I... It makes me think of like what we view as the overnight success because you you mentioned you know a lot of financial brands who have been making investments, making progress. COVID hit and they've been able to really look like they've come out of like where do they come from? Why is this happening? Well, it's because they had been making the investments ahead of time and this was an easy transition. And and, and to your point, it's like ten years looking back. And you shared a a story which I felt like we're living parallel lives about the subject of of learning and of math and the calculator. And you know you grew up here oh you know you're going to need to do math by hand because you're not always going to have a calculator. we'll look at where we're at look at where our kids are. And so when we look at exploring the past to understand the present so we know where we need to go next in the future, why is it important because you wrote about these three timelines of human progress in the book. Why is it important to at least gain a sense of understanding about these timelines when it comes to AI?
0: Yeah I, I think the the key you know if you look, Back at all the, you know, you look at electricity. It took 50, 60 years for it to kind of become ubiquitous. Smartphones took six or seven years, right? Um, AI chatbots took two or three, right? And and so each one of these trends is happening faster, more disruptively, you know, in that regard. I, a funny segue there. I was having this conversation with my wife, where you know she was trying to buy some pants for our kids the other day, and. She goes, man, you know, the the PayPal integration isn't working. I can't pay pay for whatever it is. And five years ago, she'd be pissed off. Right. And today she's like you know, the pace of all this technology and all this change is going so fast that it's not even reasonable for big brands to be testing every single component of their websites and payment integrations and whatever. She goes, I know it's not working today. I know it'll probably be working tomorrow. I'm not going to register a complaint. I'm just accepting that the pace is going faster and faster, faster, and it'll fix itself, right? And, and I think as consumers, Kimberly is a great litmus test for millennials in a number of different ways for me a couple years younger and just sees she's always on the front end of whatever the trend is for her generation and it just really highlighted to me how i think we've all accepted the change rate right Mm -hmm. and we've been this is the new the new normal that everybody talks about is that nothing's normal right and that it all changed from now and so i think coming back to ai the sequence of of interactive changes and the learning that ai is able to do look at tesla three months ago they rolled out you know, the driverless, fully automation. And really by the end of 2021, it'll be everywhere, right? That's a one year, you know, learning in that regard. I don't think, I mean, it's crazy because on one hand, Tesla's been around 17 years, right? So nothing they're doing today is really all that, you know, anything we wouldn't have expected that was probably in their business model 17 years ago. But we feel like Tesla is just like, boom, on on the scene and making all of this adjustment. And so I think... When we look at AI in our credit unions, it's going to be a similar trajectory where all of a sudden it will feel like it's everywhere. And I think we already see that with machine learning. You know, the first phase of this, we're seeing it in every aspect of of what credit unions and fintechs are doing. What we haven't seen is stage two and stage three, but you can bet those are coming.
2: Well, you know, when when, when you're talking about Tesla and I think about Elon Musk, one of the biggest driving factors for him has been this idea of first principles thinking taking things down like like literally having no assumptions about anything going back to zero and starting over and i think that's what ai machine learning is going to force a lot of us to do which is why this perspective of aq or adaptability quotient is going to be far more important than iq uh, when we when we think about the future and going forward because the machine the ai is going to open up opportunities that we can't even begin to wrap our heads around thinking about ai for financial brands i'd love for you to to talk through a common belief that this industry has but you passionately disagree with
0: so a common belief i think and i'm uh, i realize this is a controversial one but i think a common belief is that service matters and i feel very strongly that service matters i also just think 99 percent of our consumers don't care Right, They've just accepted that the digital integration, the accessibility, the convenience, those pieces are more important. And, and I'll give you an example, and maybe it's not even that service doesn't matter. It's our definition of service is wrong, right? which is, I can't tell you how many creators have been to that say, you know, train for service. And by the way, I don't actually believe I have any idea of how to actually deliver great service. So let me be very clear on that. <laughs> But every credit union I've been to says, great is when the member walks in the branch, we recognize their name. And I always go, yeah, that's the weirdest thing ever.
1: Loans and deposits. Now back to the show.
2: AI and
0: machine learning give you that capability now with facial recognition. Exactly, exactly. And we find it creepy, right? Yeah. Like because it's it's at the end of the day when I walk into a branch, if they go, "Hello, Mister Drake," and I have not had coffee with this person, I've not had them over to my house for dinner, I've not been on a phone call that was more than transactional, right? The immediate thought is this person is either trying to get something from me or they they believe there's more of a relationship here than that actually exists. I, I gotta
2: tell you a funny story on this. Uh, my wife and I, I was doing an event actually, this was years ago for the New Jersey Credit Union League and one of my wife's dreams was to spend the night at the Plaza Hotel. So she flew up there with me and uh we took a, a car from New Jersey into Manhattan and went up to the, the Plaza and she was she couldn't believe it. She was, she was like, wow, crying and right. she was so happy. Well, I get out of the car and they're like, well, hello, Mr. Lay. I'm like, how did they know my name? <laughs> the story goes, I'm like, did they have some type of data on me or something? The right, story- right. My wife, they opened the door for her first. They asked who the name of the reservation was. And I was like, I was kind (laughs) of let down. I was let down by that experience. I thought it was going to be some type of cool data integration that I didn't know about. But yeah, you're right. You're right. It it is. It it, it provides that kind of that that, that creepiness factor. But at the same time, it also provides some opportunity as well, which, you know, you right, one way or another, AI is going to change banks and credit unions. It's going to offer new tools, new methods, and, and, and to this, possible new dangers. We have a few choices about how to react to these technological changes and the paces at which they come. We can let it grind us into obsolescence or we can hang on to it, try to survive it and jump on early and thrive. I wanna look at both sides of the coin here with you, the dangers and the opportunities. First, let's look at the opportunities that you see with AI. You've given a couple of good examples, but let's dive deeper into some of the opportunities for financial brands.
0: Yeah, sure. So I think the first one is there, and, and I think there's two schools of camp on this. One of which is this is a tool for back office. Right, that allow us to be more efficient there. And the second one is this is a, this is something we arm our consumers with and allow them to touch tangibly and feel. I think there's risks and rewards on both sides of that. I don't know that I have a good answer for that. I think um just like you know, if we look at vaxxers and anti-vaxxers, there's economies in both those things and belief systems that both that that benefit that. And I think, you know, the the pace of change and and how it's impacting us as humans is causing a great deal of societal friction right now. And it's going to get worse. And you're seeing this kind of bizarre backlash, you know, against, Twitter or Facebook, you know, and and this further polarization of our society because we believe these technology companies have all this bizarre power in, in some way, shape, or form. That, by the way, as a society, we chose to give them right. Like, so Absolutely, that's the, the bizarre piece of that, right? Um, so, I, I think when we look at it in those service paradigms, we got to kind of b- build a philosophy around: is this back office, is it front office? And then in that, looking at it from First off, what can it tell us about our consumers that we don't already know or that seemingly disconnected pieces of data where we get all not just our existing data around consumers, but all these other data points begin to create a better picture and paradigm shift in that regard. The second piece, I think, is really looking at the efficiency side of things. And then the third piece I would say is really looking at the fair and equitable conversation that I think, you know, is really uncomfortable for us as an industry, as a society, et cetera. But, and this is particularly challenging, I think, in credit unions, which is we have pockets of similarity, right? We're uh, a group of church people. We're a group of people that work at this affinity, Affinity, right? That affinity bond by default means all of our data is biased, (laughs) Right? Yeah. that we do not fall to any national trend or piece, and we're going to have these pockets of bias in everything we're doing. And so then the question becomes, do we lean into that and accept the bias and just try to make the bias more efficient? Do we take a step back, try to insert some new data into that equation to make it less biased, but that by its core, if we are a teacher's credit union, in some ways we should be biased towards teachers, right? Like And... and and so that creates an ethical, moral conundrum for us to, to go down. And then I think that service piece of the bias that's going to come out in our employees, in our, how we're making our own decisions and the diversity and equity in those pieces as another piece of it. So I think, and I kind of went down a segue there, I think all of those are really good questions. And then I think the, the challenge is that's all great, but in order for us to succeed and have a seat at this table 10 years from now, we have to do something today. Right, yes. and we have to take the first learning step that goes beyond machine learning, that goes beyond you know some predictive analytics, and makes us uncomfortable because it's through those sequential uncomfortable moments that we get to truth, or we get to a trend, or we get to some level of normal. Well, if you think about it,
2: and and for the dear listener, go back to the greatest growth that you've made. Personally, that you've made professionally, it has always been in those uncomfortable moments when you've had the courage to lean into that. So, you know, when it comes to adopting AI internally, you hit on a key point. This is an emotional. Conversation. What are going to be the biggest roadblocks that hold financial brands from either a having that conversation to begin with in the first place? Because you talked about an opportunity here is back office efficiency. I see the opportunities with that as well. You know, um, you know, humanizing automating the predictable to humanize the exceptional great lessons coming out of the four seasons experience and experience is what well-defined systems and processes that have been defined applied and and here's the key optimized over a period of time resulting in a positive or negative emotion but let's talk about the emotional conversations that have to happen internally
0: where yeah, I mean, are I, the I think, here for, for yeah i think the first one is that it's going to be perfect Right. And that we're not going to get it wrong. Right. We have Mm. such a quest to deliver perfection in this industry that we won't take and and experiment on something and admit that we got it totally wrong. Right. Um, so I think the first one is just being comfortable that really you're better off plugging a chatbot in and having it go terribly wrong versus not plugging a chatbot in. You will learn more from the wrong and you will improve the credit union more long term by failing abysmally than than by doing nothing. The second one is punishing those for failure and creating this, you know, bizarre system of the, the, as if our leaders and our managers and our frontline people actually have any of this figured out, right? We have attempts and we have best practices, but they're best practices. They're not. They're not the only way to do these things, right? And so there's, you know, being accepting that, you know, this is going to be layers of onion and, and peeling in that respect. The third one that I think is the biggest one is that our internal folks today actually have a shared alignment on vision of where this all's going. And I think if you look at the IT, some of the CTOs out there, you look at you know some of the, the people who've been in your credit unions for 20, 25 years, I would argue they probably don't actually have all that much vested interest in the long-term sustainability of the financial industry and your brand as much as their own personal, you know, career short-term things
2: that's a great point you make about the it side of things because historically speaking what has it been there for it's been to protect it's been to secure it hasn't necessarily been to advance and go on the offensive side of things so right. a couple of things i'm hearing you say get comfortable being uncomfortable Accept that 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 failure is the fertile soil from which new growth springs anew and one of the things you note know here in the book and i think this was a great way to to tie it all back together and really bring the conversation full circle is one of the concerns about ai you note for financial brands is the innovators dilemma which is that businesses built on successful platforms they have too much at stake to risk everything to your point even about it how can financial brand leaders overcome their past to deal with change in the present and eliminate the fears that might be holding them back to create the future
0: I mean, I think the first piece is to really have that dialogue and understand what people's fears are and to make sure they've got health, a healthy enough emotional intelligence and conversations as leaders to understand what those true fears are. And to have you know, the IT, the accounting person, the lending person who's been there for 25 years and is four years away from retirement going, I, I, it brings me back to this conversation I have with my grandfather. I think you and I have talked about this before, where he was in his 70s and I said, Grandpa, why won't you email me? He's like, Kirk, you can just fax me. I was like, that's ridiculous. I'm not like handwriting a letter and faxing it to you. Like, what's wrong with you? You helped create Univac. You built, you know, control data. Like you're an IT guy. Like, I don't get this. He's like, Kirk, I got like five, 10 years left on the planet. I don't really want to bother spending a year of it learning to type. (laughs) And I was like, that's a great perspective. And I think that's a perspective in most of our credit unions where we've got the person who feels that way, right? And we've got to find a way to enable them to be successful and add value for the final few years of their career without making them feel like they've got to go relearn the entire world, right? And I think what, that's what we're facing here is a complete paradigm shift
2: yeah and and it really comes back to this idea of aq adaptability quotient into what you're talking about now eq emotional intelligence you add both of those together that's a transformative experience but then i also hear dan sullivan in the back of my head you know one of the things always make your future bigger than your past and i think it's about giving people hope you know that, that that this is not the end this is just the the next chapter a new beginning we're turning the page if you will and let's let's lean into that and let's create that that future together this has been a great conversation kirk i'm excited about the book people can grab a copy on amazon and if anyone is 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 listening they have follow-up questions they want to connect with you continue the conversation what is the best way for them to reach out and say hello to you
0: yeah absolutely you can of course find me on linkedin or you can email me at kdrake at cu-2.com always available love chatting with people about this I, I recognize this is my best guess of things that we need to prepare for but it's certainly not uh, it's interesting having comparing the two books i feel like credit 2.0 was very much prescriptive guide here's what to do here's things to try and in this book i have way less of that i just feel like i asked a lot of really good questions right
2: yeah and then you also uh, you know you've got some really cool things going on like for example the mastermind that's another way people can can work and, and create some that va- and it's not just with you it's i think the neat thing it's connect making connections with others
0: can you talk yeah. about that yeah absolutely thanks um, and, and you're a great uh, participant and supporter in that too so i appreciate that so, the FinTech Mastermind, my goal was you know, we have lots of pockets of conversations that are very industry specific. So, you get 10 credit union CEOs together, 10 marketing credit union people together. We have very few things where we intentionally bring in the disruptors into that equation and make us really uncomfortable with our pace, with our learning, with any of those things. So, the Mastermind is we got about 75, 80 people in it so far that are uh, probably two-thirds fintech, one-third credit union leaders. We'd like more credit union leaders in it as we go. And it's really designed around having conversations and dealing with leadership challenges and key growth opportunities on both sides that help the fintechs understand the credit union's perspective, but also help the credit unions learn how to be more uncomfortable with our discomfort or how to be more comfortable with our discomfort of the pace of change and those things and it's it's been been doing it for six or seven months now and uh every time i get on one of those calls i'm blown away with the conversation the thoughtfulness the the key uh expertise that exists both in the industry and outside
2: well, I think what you're doing is very special because it is, you know, bringing this back full circle, you've created a safe place to have some emotive conversations, to get comfortable being uncomfortable, and really to learn because you and I are both big believers and masterminds. We've both participated them uh, in them personally, and it's about a rising tide raises uh, all ships together. So I appreciate the work that you're doing there. And once again, for this conversation thank you so much for joining me today, Kirk.
0: My pleasure. Thank you. Once again,
2: and always until next time, thanks for joining me on another episode of banking on digital growth. As always be well, do good and wash your hands.